is from Luke, the 21st chapter, beginning in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. And while some were speaking of the, of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown away. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this... They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be the opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate before how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by prayer by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter in. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill what is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the, on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your, de your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees, as soon as they come out, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that you come upon in the day that come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying that you might have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the son of man and every day he was teaching the temple 
But at night he went out and lodged out on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of our Lord. You may go to your respective classes. Let's return to the scripture we read with Tyler just a few moments ago from Luke 21. For a couple of years, we have been at Christ Presbyterian Church on Sunday morning in a study in the gospel according to Luke. Why are we looking at Luke? Why are we looking at this gospel? We have seen Jesus Christ, the Son of God, incarnate. God becoming flesh. We saw early in his ministry that he was about who he was, his identity, page after page, chapter after chapter. Finally asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who is it that makes the blind to see and the deaf to hear? The paralyzed to walk? Who stops storms? Who raises the dead? They answered, they understood his identity. You're the Christ the son of the living God, and immediately his mission changed. The focus was no longer on his identity. The focus on what he had come to do, not to take the throne in Jerusalem and overthrow Rome, but to come and overthrow sin, to go to a cross, to conquer death. That's where we are. That's why we're in Luke. That's why we're looking at the story Luke tells of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Before we look at this 21st chapter, let's pray together and ask him to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you as as your priests. At Christ Presbyterian, we want to be your prophets taking your word to the world around us, wherever we are. But you've also called us to be priests, to come before you and bring the world around us to you in prayer, to be priests for the world around us. Our Father, we bow before you this morning at Christ Presbyterian, and we pray for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs. We pray at this point, this time in their lives, that you would bless them. That, Father, you would give them a vision to look forward with anticipation, knowing they will be with you. We thank you for how you have blessed Vicki Anderson. We pray that you'll continue to bring healing to her body. We pray for Tula Tuliatis this morning that you would give her strength for this time. And we pray that, Father, you would overcome this awful disease. Bless Sydney Wickens, Father, as she continues to deal with this knee. We pray that, Father, you would bring healing. We pray for Carol Ray and her family and her mother's family. As you called her mother home to be with you. Thank you for the worship of yesterday as we remembered her life. We pray that you would bless this family. Bless 
the children, bless the grandchildren to stay inside those blood-stained doors. Our Father, this morning we thank you that Nick and Chandler could be here. We pray for them as they return to where he serves. We pray that, Father, you would protect him, keep him. Our Father, we pray that in thanksgiving for the service that he is rendering to his country, rendering to his country, we pray that, Father, you will preserve his life. We thank you for Westminster Academy. We pray that you would grow Westminster Academy physically. We pray that you would grow her spiritually. We pray for John and Carol Leake as they prepare to move. Our Father, any move is traumatic, and we pray that that you would bless them, that this would be a great time. Settle them in a church where they are going. And now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. John Sartell cannot teach, preach, so that it will make any difference in our lives. He can't change us from the inside out. But we've experienced that through your word. We've experienced your speaking to us. We've been changed. We're not the same people we were. And that change continues as your word continues to operate from the inside out in our lives. So we pray this morning that once more we would hear your voice, that you would change us, maybe some of us for the first time. Bless us, Father, when we leave here in a few minutes. May we know, may we know we have heard your voice. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen. In the scripture we read this morning from Luke 21, what was Jesus doing? It's not hard to understand. Jesus was giving his disciples a history of the future. The sun with our solar system, our solar system being drawn along in tow with the sun, orbits the center of the Milky Way galaxy. As our solar system orbits the center of the Milky Way galaxy, it completes an orbit once every 250 million years. The sun and solar system is moving in this orbit at 550,000 miles per hour. Didn't know you were moving that fast, did you? Our sun is a G2-class star. There are 100 million such stars in our galaxy. It was once thought to be an insignificant star. However, now it is known to be brighter than 85% of the stars in our galaxy. Most of the other stars are red dwarfs. Science also tells us that in five to six billion years, our sun will become what is called a red giant. The sun will expand. Some think it will swallow the earth and the planets as it grows. Other scientists think that the planets will simply be forced farther out in their orbits. It will not matter. Life on earth will be gone long before that. 
The surface temperature of the sun is slowly increasing. In about one billion years, Earth's water will be boiled away and the atmosphere will disappear. That's the gospel according to modern science. Those are interesting prophecies made by the scientists based on their present understanding of physics and astronomy. Now, let me ask you a question. How will what you just heard affect your life this week? No one will go from here today and change their lifestyle because of those scientific predictions. In the passage before us this morning, Jesus makes predictions, makes prophecies about the destruction of Jerusalem. It was only 40 years hence. It was only 40 years away that Jerusalem would be completely destroyed. And he spoke in detail about it. And at the same time, he spoke about his return and the culmination of history. We saw two weeks ago studying this scene that Jesus had made an amazing disclosure as the disciples had admired the greatness. And it was awesome. It was one of the wonders of the ancient Roman world. As they looked at this huge, huge temple. Stones almost as large as this room. And Jesus turned as they admired the magnificence and said, this will soon be gone. Not one stone will be left upon another. And the disciples responded as, as we would. They said, when? When? Look at verse 7. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? In Matthew's account, the disciples said it this way. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age. They probably thought they were asking one question, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return of Christ. Certainly those things would happen together. But no, that was not God's plan. So they were asking two questions. They were saying, when and how will Jerusalem be destroyed? And tell us about your return and the culmination of history. What a lesson he gave them. He gave them a history lesson, not a history of what had already happened, like our history classes, but rather it was looking forward to the events that have not yet taken place. Jesus gave them a history of the future. Now we stand at the crossroads here. We stand in between. As we read this, the disciples, the destruction of Jerusalem and Christ's return and the culmination, it was those, both of those events were in front of them. Only one of those events are in front of us. We know about the destruction of Jerusalem. But we still look forward as we read this passage about the return of Christ. As we look at this passage, I want us to see first a temporal judgment, a temporal judgment that foreshadows his final judgment. An earthly judgment that foreshadows his final judgment. As we saw a few moments ago, Jesus had said, this vast and beautiful temple will be thrown down. Look at verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In, in verses 20 and 22, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, 
you will know that its desolation is near. Verse 22, for this is a time of punishment in fulfillment of all that's been written. Those words obviously refer, Jesus is saying, talking about the fall of Jerusalem. But then he says this, look at verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the rowing and tossing of the sea. Men will faint with terror, apprehensive about what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time. How will this come to an end? At that time, they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Those words don't refer to the fall of Jerusalem, destruction of Jerusalem. They refer to the second coming and the judgment that will happen then. There are two parallel tracks running through this passage. One track was pointing toward the judgment of Jerusalem. The other track was pointing toward the judgment, the final judgment of the world. Three times, three times in the last week of Jesus, we've just come through Lent and the, 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 and the passion of Christ focused on that time. Well, three times during the last week of his life, Jesus spoke of the destruction of Jerusalem. It was, a, it was just constantly recurring. One, remember when he was approaching entering Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry, he wept over Jerusalem and spoke of its coming destruction. Then there's this passage as he's leaving the temple and he talks about the destruction of the temple. And then on the way to Golgotha, once more, he spoke to the weeping women about the destruction of their city and the horror that would take place. And the fall of Jerusalem was a terrifying event, a terrifying judgment. In 70 AD, Vespasian, a Roman general, laid siege to Jerusalem. The siege lasted 143 days. During that time, Nero in Rome committed suicide and Vespasian was called to return to Rome to become emperor. He left his son Titus in charge of the siege. Josephus, a Jewish historian that was embedded, strangely embedded, with the Roman army, wrote in detail about what happened during that siege. He recorded that 500 Jews a day were crucified outside the city walls. He said in, in his history that it was hard to walk around outside the walls to find your way around. There were so many crosses inside the city. He wrote about how famine ravaged the population. Quote, the roofs were thronged with famished women and babes in arms and alleys with corpses of the elderly. Children and people swollen from starvation roamed like phantoms through the marketplaces and collapsed wherever their doom overtook them. Jerusalem could not bury all the bodies, so they were flung over the wall, end quote. Jesus was warning his disciples of a temporal judgment which they themselves would live to see, most of them. He told them then of an even greater judgment that would come when God called the world into account. What if you had been one of the disciples living in Jerusalem? You would have been terribly interested when the Roman army is going to come and destroy this city completely. You want to know when? What am I going to do? 
Jesus was not only talking about the fall of Jerusalem. He was calling on his people to be prepared. He was telling the disciples to be prepared for this. And then, as he spoke about the second coming and that judgment, he spoke to his disciples about being prepared for that. There was a a lawyer in Scotland that was not a credit to his profession. He had barred a neighbor's horse and through carelessness had killed the animal. He did not want to repay the farmer for his horse. He wanted to avoid payment. He told the owner that he was cash poor at the present time and asked if he could give him a promissory note. Believing the lawyer to be a good and honest man, the farmer said, of course. He and so even told him just to pay on any date when it becomes convenient. Well, the lawyer drew up a a note promising to pay on judgment day. Well, the case was taken to court and the judge read the note that fell due on judgment day. He told the lawyer, the promissory note is perfectly good, sir. And as this is judgment day, I decree you pay. The judge was recognizing. Now listen, the judge was recognizing a biblical truth. All all temporal, all earthly judgment is a judgment day with a small j. And it's, it's a, but it is a shadow every time. It's a shadow of a coming judgment day. Think about this. When you are sitting in a courtroom and that judge is on the bench, that always points. God established that. That always points toward a greater judge and a greater judgment. That's what's happening here. A well-known minister in our day, every time he's asked, and he talks about how the gospel is preached in his church, he says, we don't talk about We don't talk about judgment in our church. We preach the salvation and love of Jesus. It sounds good sometimes to some ears, but it's entirely unbiblical. He would have a hard time preaching from Luke 24. What would he say about this? What would he say? Why was Jerusalem destroyed? It was judgment. How would he speak about the coming the return of Jesus, when he will judge the world. From what did Jesus save us? From the righteous judgment of God that was over us because of our sin. Why do we marvel at his grace? Because we merited death and he gave us life. What does verse 36 mean? Look at it. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen That referred to the fall of Jerusalem. Disciples, listen to me. You're going to live through this. This will save your families. But then he added, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of God, the Son of Man, in this greater judgment. We will one day stand, every single one of us, before God. And we will either stand wrapped in Christ, wrapped in the blood of Christ, or we'll stand clothed in our own sin. Court cases today, 
read the people versus Jones or the state of Tennessee versus Smith. On that day, the cases will read God versus Jones, God versus Smith, God versus Sartell. Put your name. How will you stand before God? When a wrong is done in Fayette County, we cry out for justice. We've been very careful as a nation as we've looked at 9-11 to say it's not revenge we want. It is justice we want. Question. How does our modern culture desire justice now but laugh when Jesus speaks of a cosmic, a final judgment and accounting? This is a temporal judgment that foreshadows his final judgment. That's what Jesus is saying here. Secondly, he gave historical signs that will warn of Jerusalem's judgment in the final judgment. He gave historical signs of a warrant of Jerusalem's judgment and the final judgment. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know its desolation is near. Again, in those verses 10 and 11, in verse 20, Jesus was speaking of historical events that would take place before the fall of Jerusalem. And his statement was proven to be absolutely accurate. Earthquakes in 63 AD, an incredible, gigantic earthquake wiped out half the city of Pompeii. The city was never completely rebuilt before another earthquake inundated the city in 79 AD. In 60 AD, an earthquake completely destroyed Laodicea. Notice that Jesus said there would be multiple famines. Well, these famines took place during the reigns of Claudius and Nero. Exactly when Jesus said they would. Listen to Acts 11.27. It's there on your scripture sheet. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Luke is referring back to the prediction of Jesus and said it happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Great signs from heaven, it says. Again, going back to the Jewish Historian Josephus embedded with the Roman army. He was not a Christian. He was a Jewish historian who recorded the detail, the, the, the fall of Jerusalem in detail. He wrote this, quote, a comet continued the whole year over the city, end quote. The actual uprising against Rome in Jerusalem began in 66 AD. That's where the, the background for the destruction of Jerusalem started in terms of Rome. They rebelled. The, the, they actually threw the Israelites in rebellion, threw Rome out of Jerusalem, expelled Rome. Rome had had enough of the rebellion. And so they came back with a vengeance. Their army showed up at the city walls in 70 AD, and it was over. 
What was it Jesus said? When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Jesus told them to leave and escape Jerusalem's judgment. Look at verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country. Typically in that day, when a foreign army came, you ran from the country into a walled city. Jesus says, don't do that. The walled city is going to fall. You need to know that Christians followed Jesus' advice. The Christian community as a whole left Jerusalem as these signs came together. They understood what was happening. Jesus had warned them. After he spoke of the complete fall of Jerusalem and the Jewish people being spread through the nations, Jesus spoke of the signs then that would precede his coming in judgment. Now that's that concerns us. What's going to happen next? Well, look at verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. Clearly there, Jesus is speaking the history of a future event before it happens. Can I tell you what those signs will be? Do I know what Jesus means here? Men will be faint and tear from apprehensive about what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I do not know what those cosmic signs will be. I don't know what the uproar between the nations will be. Evidently, there will be a worldwide panic, a dread, a trepidation. However, just like there was a generation in Jerusalem that said, guys, we better be getting out of here. The city's about to fall. They knew the signs. There will be a generation that will read this passage, a generation of Christians, and in the power of the Holy Spirit will say, it's time. He's returning. They will see these things happening one time on a scale as never before. They will know just as surely as Christians around Jerusalem, though, they will know Christ is near. That's exactly why Jesus gave them these signs. Look at the parable. Look at the parable. Sometimes... Sometimes we, we laugh at people that talk about the future this way and act as if we can't. No, listen to what Jesus said here. Wake up. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Those words make it plain. Jesus meant, I'm telling you this, so that you'll have signs. So that you'll remember there's a judgment coming. So you'll know when it's approaching. There were people in Jerusalem, just as there were people in Jerusalem that said, you know, this is what Jesus said. We're out of here. There were people in Jerusalem who ignored the signs. They said, Jerusalem, this is a city of God. It will never be destroyed. Josephus wrote about people that stayed in harm's way because certain prophets, people in pulpits, told them God would never bring destruction on, on the city. They did not heed the signs. 
Well, neither does the world today. Isaac Newton is one of the great, great fathers of our modern age. Even the secular scientists tell us that Newton was one of the greatest scientific minds in all of history. He was a Christian. He believed in the return of Christ. Reading the book of Daniel, he interpreted the last chapter as saying that there would be a great increase in knowledge before the return of Jesus. In writing this, Newton said that men in this, in, in, in this great increase in knowledge, that men would learn to travel in excess of 50 miles an hour. Wow. Voltaire, contemporary of Newton, was a, was a skeptic. He was incredulous. He wrote these words. Be careful what you write. The future is, you know, they're going to, people will read about it in the future. This is what Voltaire wrote. Now look at the mighty mind of Newton, who discovered gravitation. When he began to study the book called the Bible, it seems in order to credit its nonsense, he believed that the knowledge of mankind will be so increased that we will be able to travel 50 miles an hour, the poor fool. End quote. People, why do we have such trouble? We're more like our generation, and we are more like Voltaire than Newton. Why do we have such trouble believing the truth of his return? Jesus spoke of his sudden, certain, personal, and cataclysmic return throughout the Gospels. He got the fall of Jerusalem right. What makes you think he's wrong about his return? What was the last word from glory at the ascension of Jesus? After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. The same Jesus, in the same way, you have seen him go into heaven. I believe the reason people laugh at the idea of his return and judgment is that we're so wrapped up and distracted by this physical world that we cannot imagine it will end. This is our home. And that's exactly what Jesus warned us would happen in this passage. Look at verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What's he saying? Be careful that you don't get wrapped up in your materialistic Centered, self-centered, good times, good life. You're lulled into thinking this is all there is. That's exactly what has happened to us. Jesus understood. We're so caught up. Which one of us this week thought about the second coming of Christ? Thought about the judgment that is coming to all of us? I read about a man who was, I like to fish, I like to wade and fish, and understood this. He was fishing in a river. He loved fishing more than anything else in life, and 
on this particular day, he was really catching fish. He was above the falls, very high falls. He had fished there many times, always very careful. But this day got so caught up in the fish that he made two mistakes. He waded out too far and he went too close to the falls. In the swifter water, he lost his balance. His waders filled and he was swept over the falls. He becomes so caught up in the fishing of that day, the success of that day. He fished as if the falls weren't there. And that's what we do. We get so caught up in our successes, in our lives, in athletics, in music. It can be anything. Family, job. We get so caught up. We forget judgment is there. And we live as if it's not. The sudden coming of the creator to his creation. That's what this is about. The cataclysmic invasion of God to bring all of history into judgment. There will be an accounting. You know, that seems to us as remote as the sun burning up one billion years from now. Who cares? It's far away. Here's the difference. The prediction of science says we will be no more. There's no need to be concerned. Where Jesus says, you'll be alive. I'm not just returning to meet the living. I'm returning to raise the dead. Read your Bible. It's not just his children that will be raised. He's going to raise Hitler. He's going to raise every man, woman, and child that's been born on the face of this earth. And they will meet their God. There will be an accounting. That's Luke 21. And now, we don't have to fear that day. We're going to sing our final hymn with our eyes fixed upon the return of Jesus Christ and fixed upon our day. For even now, he is reigning. He's reigning. And our hymn is Jesus shall reign. Thank you.